Hey, um, so it's interesting when I talk to people about River Ridge Church uh, and specifically people talk to me about like sermons sometimes and like I like this about sermons or here's what I like or sometimes what I don't like, which is fine too. But so it's interesting. Some people, when they talk about sermons and what they like, they're like, man, I really love like the theology stuff. Like when you get into the Greek and the Hebrew and the history, man, I really like that. That's super awesome. And then I meet some people and they're like, you know, I like it when there's controversy in the sermon. Like there's this tension, like we're talking about like vaccinations or politics or mass or sexual ethics or stuff like that. Like I, I like that kind of stuff, right? And then there's some people who are like, you know, I like the big picture, like cast the vision, take the hill, take the charge, like fire up the troops to go out there and do something. Uh, and then there's some people when they talk about church, they say, you know what? I just want the sermon to be practical. Like, it doesn't matter how we do it. I just want to be able to apply what we're talking about, help me to love God more, help me to love people more. Like, that's what I'm looking for from a sermon. And people have all kinds of different views of what they're kind of looking for. But here's the thing, is this morning, we're looking at Acts chapter 15. And this passage honestly has a little bit of something for everyone, no matter what you're looking for, for a sermon. It's got some theology that we're going to need to understand. It's got some controversy in there. It's got some vision about what the church is going to be. And it's also got some very practical applications for us. And so I'm excited to dive into Acts this morning. If you're new to River Church or maybe you haven't been here for uh, the last few weeks, we are in the middle of a series called We Are the Church. And we're going through the book of Acts on Sunday mornings, but then also many, many of us are reading it on our own time with the Lord throughout the week. And what we're going to look at this morning in Acts chapter 15 is basically what is one of the first fights or controversies in the first church. And they were fighting about, wouldn't you guess, rules. They were fighting about what rules do we follow? Do we have to follow the rules? They were fighting about rules. Now, I have a question for you all when it comes to rules. Think back to your growing up, your childhood home. How many of you would say that you had a lot of rules in your home that you had to follow? You'd say, my parents had a lot of rules. How many of you say, raise your hand, say, yep, kind of even a little bit of oppressive, a lot of rules, okay? Now, how many, by the way, if you're sitting here with your parents, you don't have to vote, okay? Um, <laughs> how many of you would say when you were growing up, you didn't have many rules? It was kind of loose, kind of do what you want, not like you'll raise yourself, okay? A couple, and then some people are probably in the middle there. So when I grew up, I would say that my parents were pretty middle of the road when it came to rules. Uh, but if you were to ask my brother, who's seven years older than I am, he would say that, our parents were really strict. They had all kinds of rules. But by the time I came along, they had loosened a lot of those rules because they had a ton of rules for my brother, but he didn't follow any of them. And they're like, well, that didn't work. Let's see if we have less rules and see if this works out a little better with child number three, which I was. And so, but here's the thing is, I remember one of the rules that my mom had for us as kids that she kept all the way through is that we were not allowed to wear our socks outside. So if I was going out to play, I had, and I was on my way out, and I had my socks on, she said, you need to put on shoes or take your socks off. Either one is fine, but you may not wear socks outside. I thought that was kind of an oppressive rule, honestly, as a child. I'm like, come on. And, and I can remember one day I was arguing with my mom. I'm like, mom, that, that's so silly. I probably used the word dumb and got in trouble, but like, like, mom, that's just, why would, I mean, who cares? And she said this. She said, Matthew, so I knew I was in trouble. She's like, Matthew, 
I buy your socks, and so those are my rules. I'm like, okay, fine. So I put my shoes on or take my socks off every time I went out. Fast forward. I'm 25 years old, and I have this epiphany. I'm in my house, and I've left something in the, in the car outside, and so I'm getting ready to go, out, and I have socks on. And so I get to the threshold of the door. I'm like, ah, I guess i got to take my socks off, or I'll go put on some shoes. And I'm at the threshold of the door, ready to go out, making this decision, barefoot or put shoes on, and this is where I realize I buy my own socks. It was like, ah. and so I walked out with my sock feet. I'm scuffing them the whole time along. I'm like, I'm, this is my rules, my house, my socks, my bank account. So anyway, that was rules. Um, now I have kids. I have four kids. And when they go outside, you better believe they wear socks because I buy their socks. They, they can't wear their socks because I buy their socks, right? So are we all excited about socks? I just had to calm the mood a little bit because we're about to talk about circumcision, right? So, so here is the, the controversy in the first church. We just need to lighten the mood before we get serious about circumcision. So the controversy in the first church revolved around circumcision. And you may say, well, that's kind of an archaic thing. That doesn't seem like it applies to us today in this world. Um, but the issues that they were dealing with around circumcision, we're going to see three truths that were true for them and true for us two for us, that are very much a part of the church and how we live and interact as church. So we're going to be in Acts 15, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 15, and uh, I'll pray for us. God, I pray for this morning, I pray, God, that as we look into your word, that you would show us, that you would teach us, show us the things that you want us to understand for ourselves out of this passage, and show us the things that you want us to understand for us as a church out of this passage. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And by the way, we have a Riverridge app, which you can click to a Bible if you want to follow along, or there's also notes in there that you can click on that, and you can always take notes there since we're not handing out papers at the moment. So Acts chapter 15, verse 1 says this. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So at this point, this missionary party, the traveling party, was in um, Antioch. And some people came from Judea to Antioch, and they were saying, Look, if you want to be a Christian, unless you're circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so they, they talk about circumcision here as an example, and it's basically there was a kind of a theological question that the church was wrestling at this point in time. And the theological question was this, essentially, is in order to become a Christian, do you also need to become Jewish? That was the question that they were answering. Because up until this point in time, and, and just a little earlier in the book of Acts, um, the Christians were people who were Jewish, so all of Jesus' disciples were Jewish. The first converts, it was in Jerusalem, which is where the church was formed. And so everybody was Jewish. They had a background in the Old Testament, in the law of Moses. They understood that. But then the gospel began to spread to non-Jews, or they would call them Gentiles, or sometimes Greeks, or Hellenists. But it spread to those that weren't Jews. But yet the foundation of Christianity was in the Jewish faith, was in Judaism. And so the question was, well, do you need to adopt Judaism as a part of becoming a Christian? And that's the kind of thing that they were trying, they were debating and discussing. 
So in Acts chapter 15, verse 2, and it says this. It says, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And so it became a question in the church because obviously there were men in the church who were like, I want to become a Christian, but I don't get what this circumcision has to do with you know, this, as far as becoming a Christian, I don't see the connection. You know, you can kind of picture the churches, you know, the new members class had lots of women and lots of children in them, but the men are like, I'll just wait out here by the donkey. You know, no thanks on that deal. I'll just kind of take the rest of it. And they're like, well, can they do that? Can they kind of pass on the circumcision thing? And so they said, you know, let's get this question answered because it's a big question. And so we're going to send Paul and Barnabas. They're going to go to Jerusalem and appear before the elders and the apostles, and then we will have them make a decision, which we will then carry back and transport back to the church. And so they set out on this journey. It's 300 miles, so it's going to take them about two weeks, but it seems like they probably stop along the way and have some conversations and discussions. It says, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. And so they basically, they were walking along, and as they were traveling, they were having these conversations with the different groups of Christians who had become Christians. And they were basically kind of saying, their faith seems to be authentic, even though they weren't circumcised. And, and they're kind of going along, explaining why they were going to Jerusalem, meanwhile listening to stories. And then it says this, in verse 4, it says, When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party, the Pharisees, rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So this question was raging in Antioch. Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to be circumcised? But it was also going on in Jerusalem where the Pharisees, who had become Christians, were like, no, we have to keep the Old Testament law, and they have to keep the Old Testament law as well. And it says this in verse 6. It says, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up, and said to them, brothers. Now, we'll go on and say what he says in just a minute. But Peter is the perfect person to share this first opinion with the apostles and to share his opinion because of this. Is first of all, Peter walked with Jesus. So for two and a half to three years, he walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus' heartbeat. The second thing is that Jesus, excuse me, is that Peter was Jewish. Right? So he understood the customs and the laws and all of that kind of thing. He understood the importance and the value of what Moses said. But here's the third thing. If, you were, if you've been reading it along in the book of Acts, this is Acts chapter 10. It was Peter that God came to and said, it's okay to have Gentiles be a part of the church. It's okay to have Gentiles into your house. And so Peter really has this perspective from all sides where everybody's like, okay, let's listen to Peter because he's really kind of got the whole view, this whole thing in view. And then he says this. He says, you know, then the early days God made a choice among you 
that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them and having cleansed their hearts by faith. He says there's no distinction in coming to faith, whether you come from a Jewish background or everything else, which would be Gentile. He says we all come to faith in the same way by having our hearts cleansed by faith. So here's the first truth that he's declaring for them and also for us. Is salvation is found through faith alone, in Christ alone, for everyone. That the gospel is available for everyone. Through faith alone, in Christ alone, the gospel is for everyone. Then he continues in verse 10. He says, Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers uh, nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So first of all, he's saying, look, I want you to understand that we are saved by faith alone. There's no and. It's not faith and something else. Probably the most popular verse that is is part of the Christian church is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. There's no and after the word believes. It's not whoever believes and goes to church. It doesn't say whoever believes and is circumcised. Whoever believes and does good works. Whoever believes and is baptized. Whoever be- it, there's no and after that. It's whoever believes. So it's through faith alone in Christ alone for everyone. But he also in here gives a rationale behind it. He says, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples? He says, there's this burden that we have all borne and we couldn't even follow. We haven't even been able to bear it. So there are 613 laws in the Old Testament, okay, that they were supposed to follow. Circumcision is just one of them. And then there's 612 other ones. And he's like, we can't even keep those straight. Like, how far again can I walk on the Sabbath? What am I allowed to bathe in? Like, which foods can I eat? I can, I can eat clams, but not lobster. Or I can't eat lobster, but I can't eat clams. And, and can I eat pig? No, I can't eat pig. I can't eat bacon. But I, can I eat turkey bacon? No, wait, Dad, does that count? And so there's, it's like, we can't even follow these laws. Why would we want to make it a burden to those people who are coming to faith? So then it says this. It says in verse 12, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul, and as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas stand up and say, Look, this is true. The gospel has come to the Gentiles. We've seen with our own eyes. They weren't circumcised. They're trying to figure out, do they have to be circumcised? But clearly they're believers. And so why are we going to argue this point that they have to also get circumcised? So then, James stands up. This is verse 13. It says, And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Now, there's a couple of different Jameses in the Bible. This is James, the half-brother 
of Jesus. And he's called the half-brother of Jesus because they shared Mary as their mother, and Jesus' father would be considered God, and then James's father would be, was Joseph. And so, and here's the thing, and I stop and pause there about James for this reason. You know, if you're someone who's a little bit of a skeptic, and you're going, I'm not sure that this whole Jesus thing was true. Like, I'm not sure that Jesus really was God. I mean, that he lived a perfect life, like a, an absolutely perfect life. I'm not so sure about that. If you're kind of a skeptic like that, the fact that James is a Christian and a follower of Christ is a really good indication that all of this is true. And, and here's why. Because if anybody were to know that his brother wasn't perfect, it would be James. Like, think about your own siblings. Like, if your brother or sister came and said, hey, I'm God, I'm perfect, you'd be like, uh, no, you're not. I grew up with you, right? If you try to say the same thing to your brother or sister, hey, I'm God, you'd be, they'd be like, no, you're not. I know how imperfect you are. But James says, yes, Jesus was my brother who I grew up with was, in fact, God. It's a great evidence for the gospel. This is what he says. Verse 19 is the summary of it. He says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. That right there has got to be the heartbeat of the church. That we don't want to trouble the Gentiles who are turning to God. If people are turning to God, if people want to give their lives to Christ, if they're investigating Christianity, we don't want to make it difficult for them to turn to God. That's the heartbeat of what the church is to be about. And that's the heartbeat of what we as River Ridge Church are to be about. And I put it this way, is the second kind of timeless truth is remove barriers to the gospel. Remove as many barriers as possible. Because we don't want anything to ever come in the way of somebody turning to Jesus and wanting to find out about Jesus and becoming a Christian and growing in him. We don't ever want to put up barriers that don't need to be there. And, and even, and honestly, I start with myself. You know, as I prepare messages and I sit down, I think, what do I want to share and who's going to be listening? I always want to make sure that my messages are clear. Like, I don't put in a bunch of theologically difficult, hard-to-understand languages and, and words and stuff like that because I want us to understand to have clarity about the gospel. I don't want what I say to be a stumbling block. I try and stay away from churchy words. You know, you don't hear me saying, you need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. I mean, somebody who's not a Christian goes, I, I have no idea what that is, what Lamb, and why would I want to get washed in blood? But it's kind of a Christian-ease way of saying, become a Christian. Well, why, why say get washed in the blood of the land if you can say become a Christian? So those types of things, we say let's be as friendly as we can with the language that we use and as clear as we can. You know, one of the other things around Rivers Church, again, not wanting to create barriers, is we're not a politically motivated church. You know, we, you know, we don't want to create anything that's going to keep Republicans from becoming Christians or Democrats from becoming Christians or a barrier for liberalists or, or libertarians or socialists or Steelers fans or whatever. Like, we don't want any barriers to come in, the, in our way, right, in, or in their way. And I was actually, uh, my friend Ben Toole was at the first service, and I can remember a conversation with Ben 
gosh, it was probably eight, ten years ago or so, and he was either leading worship or um, giving a sermon. I can't remember which one it was. And it was the day before, and it was playoff season, and the Steelers were playing. And I said, Ben, you should wear your Steelers jersey when you, you know, when you lead worship, when you give the sermon. That'd be really kind of cool and kind of hip. And, and the Steelers were playing the Bengals that day. And he said, you know what? I don't want to do that. Because that might be a stumbling block for somebody who's cheering for the Bengals, and they see me in a Steelers jersey, and they won't listen to me. I'm like, man, that's profound. Now, the next fall, he was wearing a WVU jersey, and he's like, I don't really care about Pitt fans if they come to Christ or not. So, <laughs> Virginia Tech fans, we don't care about them. That, that's, you can take that up with Ben. But the point is, we don't want to create unnecessary barriers to the gospel. You know, one of the reasons that we push so hard for volunteers at River Church is that we know that when people come here, that they want to feel loved and accepted and have a good experience. And so we want to have volunteers in place to welcome people in the parking lot. We want to have volunteers in place so that when they send their kids to a small group, it's a group of it's a small group in kids ministry and not like 25 kids in a group, but we want them to have that experience. We don't want anything to be an obstacle to the gospel. You know, one of the things that I love about River Ridge Church, and when you walk in for the first time, you see people wearing all sorts of different clothes. Like you see some people, they got shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops on. You see other people with like a, a button-down shirt and a collared shirt, and, and I love that. You see people who've got like a tattoo here or a tattoo here, and you got sleeve tattoos, and you have people who have no tattoos. And, and I love that because I don't want this church or anything that we do to be an obstacle to somebody hearing about Christ. So then it goes on. Verse 20. So James is continuing, and basically they're, they're having this council, and they're going to send a letter back to Antioch that's going to circle as far as, circulate as far as what the, um, kind of what the answer to the circumcision question is. He says, but you should write to them, or we will write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled, and from blood. Okay, that's a weird list. Like, let's just admit that. Don't have sex outside of marriage, don't drink blood, and don't eat animals that have been strangled, and don't eat food sacrificed to idols. That's just a very odd, random list. So you look at that list, and you go, what does he mean? Like, what, what is James trying to get across here? And so we need to understand that there's two categories of things here, and he has different rationale between each category of things, and we'll kind of unpack that. So the first thing we'll, we'll look at, he says, um, to abstain from sexual immorality. And so the Old Testament had all sorts of laws, but we can divide them very broadly into the moral laws and the ceremonial laws, or the moral laws and the ritual laws. And so when he was saying abstain from sexual immorality, he was pointing to the moral laws. Now, you kind of ask the question, so that's still sort of weird. Is he saying, you know what? Murder as many people as you want, lie as much as you want, cheat as much as you want, steal as much as you want, but just don't have sex outside of marriage. Okay, that's bizarre. That's not what he's saying. What he was saying is he was pointing that to the moral law of the Old Testament, but the reason that he pointed to that one is because that one went against the culture of the time. So in that culture, they would say murder is wrong. Lying is wrong. Stealing is wrong. Cheating is wrong. They would, they would agree with that. But that culture, they would say, but sexual immorality is fine. 
as long as everybody's kind of consenting to this and it's all done the right way, if, if you want to have sex before you're married, if your husband is fine with you having sex outside of marriage, all that's fine as long as it's consenting adults. Does that sound a little bit familiar for our culture? And so the reason he picks that one is because that one was countercultural. He said, when the moral law of God conflicts with the cultural norms, we go with the moral law of God. So that's why I picked that one. Now, he also has these other things in here about um, abstaining from uh, things polluted by idols, from uh, what has been strangled, and from blood. So we read the next verse, and that explains to us why these are in there. It says this in verse 21. It says, For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. What's going on here is he's saying, look, as we look at our culture, as we look at people who are becoming Christians, you need to understand that the Jews have been raised on the laws of Moses forever and ever and ever. This goes back generations and generations. Moses has been read in the synagogue. And so this, these things, eating food sacrificed to idols— Drinking the blood and the strangled animals, these are big things to the Jews. And what God was doing is God was forming, Jesus was forming one church. He didn't want a Jewish church of Christians and a Gentile church of Christians. He wanted unity. And so what he's saying, he's saying, for the sake of unity, we're going to say that the Gentiles can give up these things, these few things that are so sacred and so important to the Jewish Christians. See, here's how we apply this to our lives today. It's respect those who differ. Respect those who differ. And that's what he's saying. He's saying they think differently, but when you're around the Jews, for the sake of unity, so that you can share a table, share a meal with them, then don't do these things having to do with the table laws. Yeah, they're part of the ceremonial laws. You won't have to follow them forever, but for the sake of of the Jews, do what they ask. And you know, it's interesting. In, in the church, you know, we talk about freedom in Christ, and I have freedom in Christ, but yet there's a part of when we become a Christian that we give up some of our freedoms of what we could do for the sake of unity. And Jesus has been putting different kinds of people together all throughout history. If you look at the disciples, I don't know if you've ever read through the list of the 12 disciples, but one of the disciples was Matthew. And he was a sympathizer with the Romans. He was a tax collector for the Romans. He collected taxes for the Romans from the Jews, from his own people, because they were basically an occupied country. He's a disciple. But you also have a guy who's mentioned whose name is Simon the Zealot. And he was a zealot. He was part of a group of people called the Zealots who were actively fighting against the Romans occupying the Jewish nation of Israel. You had those two guys who were both on Team Jesus, but very different. You see, God wants to put diversity together in his church. And so the question is, are you willing to give up some of your freedoms for the sake of unity? I'll give you an example, a little controversy, maybe, maybe not. Um, But so when it comes to masks and vaccinations and all that kind of stuff. So I was vaccinated back in... um, in January. So I've been vaccinated for a long time, but everywhere I go, I wear a mask. And then about, what was it, a week and a half ago, the CDC says, if you've been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask inside anymore, right? And then Governor Justice 
a couple days later, said, if you live in West Virginia, uh, we are no longer requiring that masks are worn inside if you've been vaccinated. And so that's kind of where things are at. So, but this week as I've been going around, there's some stores that still have a sign that says, please wear a mask. And so I was in the store just yesterday, 7-Eleven, and I'm getting ready to go in, and I look in the door sign says, please wear a mask. And so I went back, even though I've been vaccinated, even though Governor Justice says it's okay, even though the CD says it's okay, I went back and I got a mask and I put it on and I went in and I bought my Gatorades. And here's why I did that. It's for the sake of whoever the store manager is. I mean, some poor guys working at 7-Eleven, you know, behind the counter as the store manager making, you know, $12.75 an hour. And I just don't want to make his job any harder. I don't want to walk in there without a mask on. He says, sir, would you mind going and putting a mask on? Like, I just don't want to be difficult for him. And that's what he's talking about here. It's for the sake of unity. Give up your own thoughts. Give up your own preferences. Give up your own whatever it is for the sake of somebody else. So they write this letter. You can read it in verses 28 to 30. And then they send it off to Antioch, which basically says circumcision is not necessary as part of becoming a Christian. I'm sure all the men were like, yeah, sweet. <laughs> I was hoping for that. So, but here's the question for us. Where do we take this as a church? Because those principles were true for the first church. They're true for us as a church, but they are also true for us as individuals as we live them. The gospel is that salvation is found in Christ alone, through faith alone, for everyone. And so that's the message that we preach, to make sure that we don't add on to that, make sure that we have that right as we share the gospel, as we invite people, we say, hey, this is what the gospel is. It's that Jesus Christ died for you, and you can have eternal life by placing your faith in him and going to church. No, it's not and going to church. And getting baptized. No, it's not and getting baptized. And reading the Bible. No, it's not that. Are those good things? Absolutely. Are they the core of what makes a person a Christian? No, we do those to grow our walk with Christ. We can remove barriers to the gospel. And that's why we don't want anything that we say or anything that we do or anything that we post to be a stumbling block or make it difficult for somebody to come to faith in Christ. And one of the things that I love about River Ridge, and we have this kind of mission vision statement, is helping people take next steps in their journey with God. So no matter where you are, we want there to be a next step to help you grow. If you're not sure what that next step is, if you're feeling stagnant, come talk to me. Come talk to Jay. Come talk to one of our staff members. We'll help you take that next step and see what it is. But we try and make those steps obvious about what to do. But here's the thing that I love about River Ridge is that step is available to you when you're ready to take it. Say, oh, I want to get baptized. And you take the step. Oh, I want to start having a quiet time. And you take the step. Oh, and, and you take the step. But that step is on you. We don't want to create barriers to that. And here's the other thing is we do or that we don't do. Is we don't push people towards it. You need to get baptized. <laughs> Take a step. You have to because we just pushed you because we guilted you into it. That's not what we're about as well. And then the third, if we can respect those who are different and preserve the unity of the church, God will do great things through us. But it starts with us saying, you know what? I'm not going to be divisive with other people. I'm going to give up my freedoms for the sake of caring and loving somebody else. And when we do that, 
as individuals. And when we do that as a church, God will use this church in incredible ways to influence the community around us.